global sport is worth half a trillion dollars. The passion of sport unites people, nations, and the world together as one. The agony and the ecstasy, the pursuit of human greatness captivate us all. Consequently, sport is an economic and cultural powerhouse. We go inside the business of sport and talk to the people who make it happen. You are listening to the Ministry of Sport podcast with Lachlan Wills. Craig Tiley, welcome to the show. Good to be here. Oh, well, thank you for having us in your house. You are here on the edge of Rod Laver Arena. And Craig, the thing that strikes me so much is when I walked in, I see Dylan Bates, John Hoovenhaas, Melissa yeah. Fletcher, John O'Neill, all the people that work here. Mm. There's such a strong camaraderie. Tell us, yeah. like for you, in your DNA, you're a tennis coach at heart. How much yeah. do you love the team ethos that's here at Tennis Australia? Well, I mean, it's, it's really a simple formula that um, a team of people can get done a heck of a lot more than one person can. And so learn to be a great team player. Um, and I think I'm very proud of our workforce. I'm proud of what, they, what they've achieved over the years. And, and, you know, we roll out every single year. We've got to deliver an event. Uh, deliver a sport uh, right throughout the year and you've got to find more creative ways to do it differently so you have the same fan come back and get a different experience and and it's why they love our events so much particularly the Australian Open and and why they uh, um, love the game and why the game keeps growing but it comes from the people that work in the organization so the values of the organization and playing as a team are, are probably the most important elements um, of what we deliver uh, in leadership. Well, you do. You've got a wonderful team here. And, I mean, you talk about the success. It is extraordinary what you've been able to do. So last year's Australian Open, 2023 Australian Open, you had 840,000 people through the gate in two weeks, 900,000 if you include yeah. the, the lead-up week. Yeah. So 840,000, that's the most people that have ever attended a tennis tournament in all of history. The US yeah. Open broke its own record at 800,000. Mm. So you beat them. That's a a country of 330 million people, you still mm. beat them. Mm. Uh, French Open this year broke its record at 630,000. Mm. And then Wimbledon was at 530,000. Mm. So when it comes to attendance, you're winning the fan. Um, you look at broadcast. When you took over in 2013, you were getting $35 million a year out of Channel 7. Mm. Your latest agreement is $85 million a year out mm. of Channel 9. Mm. So you're winning on broadcast. And then in terms of the players, uh, Naomi Osaka spoke recently to the Australian Financial Review and said that the Australian Open is the only tournament where the players feel like they truly have a voice. Mm. And Naomi's been you know, very passionate about advocating for the rights of players. Mm. So you win fans, you win broadcast, which is what mm. pays the bills, mm. and you're winning the players. Mm. Have you done it? Oh, I know we don't have too much time. We have, to, we have a lot of time to explain. Well, it starts in your first question. It starts with the people. You know, yeah. If you have the right people in the right roles, uh, doing the best they possibly can, doing it with great values, the values of humility, the values of no ego, the values of always being service orientated, and you're here to facilitate a better environment for the person next to you. Mm. And if you can live that through an organization, you can ultimately get the goals. I've always said that you have an equity jar and you've got to keep filling the equity jar with doing good. And, uh, and eventually you're going to need to draw on it. And we as an organization had to draw on that equity jar with the players and with the fans during COVID. Mm. And, uh, and we did, and we, we came through that seamlessly, uh, although it was a very difficult journey we went through. But I'm, I'm particularly proud of the fact that we lead um, with the most important group of any tournament or any event you can run, and that's the players. If you don't have the players, if you don't have the support of the players, you don't have an event. And you have to start there. And the players need to know that you start there, not by telling them that you're doing it, but by just doing it. 
And I think the slams collectively do a really good job with that. Um, they've led the way. The four slams have led the way globally mm. on um, on an event, on the size of an event, the extent, the, the, the significance, the global significance of an event. You pretty much, if you're in the sporting world, you know the four slams in tennis. Outside of that, it's really hard to understand what goes on, which is one thing that tennis needs to do in the future is to fix that. But uh, there's no question that I think it comes down to the people in the organization that drive those outcomes. Mm. And we do have a, have, a, have, a, have a very key strategic position that's players first. Uh, and then we, we create an environment where the fans will really enjoy interacting with the players, watching the players play, and then coming to an event where they actually don't have to watch tennis because we can, we're going to focus on them too and give them a great time. It's really interesting point you made there about the fact that the slams are obviously the peak events, but in between time, perhaps tennis can do more. It's interesting, one of our young producers on the show, Ava Stone, was saying that you know, she loves the slams, but it was watching the Netflix show Breakpoint that actually got her really invested all year round because yeah. it was like following you know one of her favorite th drama shows yeah what, what do you think of the different angles to try and hit the younger demographics and to keep interest up you know three six five yeah well i think at the australian open we we have of any event around the world we have the youngest demographic mm. and and that's because we've festivalized the experience we've added music we've mm. added tech experiences and um we've food chefs uh, a ballpark for kids and so we've we end to end with every single segment, particularly the youth segment, we focus on providing with an experience. So they look forward to coming to the Australian Open. We've kept the prices really flat yeah. and low to make it accessible. And uh, we only draw from 5 million people from Melbourne compared to the 25 million people of London, Paris, and New York. So that in itself is an achievement. But we're all in this together, all four slams. And we are looking, you know, and, and the sport needs to look at a way where we can create a much better narrative leading into the slams and a much better narrative, a global narrative of what where are players going? They're going to the Middle East, how they're doing. They're, they're going mm -hmm. on to Europe, how they're doing. What, what surface they're playing on. How do they compete each other against each other? What's it mean for the year end? And who finishes number one? And, and, who, and, and, who, and why do they finish number one? We don't have that narrative right now. The only ones that really understand it are the players that are playing it. Yeah. The fans don't. So the fans will go you know, for a week to Monte Carlo and have a great time and experience and watch, the, watch tennis there. But it, it won't, they won't know what that means in the bigger scheme of things. So the sport needs to do a much better job of that. But we're on the journey of trying to fix that. And, uh, and it's the, the sports, the, the, you know, the future of the sport is very bright. We've got in Australia, for example, we've got more people playing tennis than ever have before. We've got more people signing up to come and watch the Australian Open and our leading events than we ever have before. And every year we grow on that. And that doesn't happen accidentally. It happens by plan. But that interest is out there. And that is the same thing that's happening globally. We're seeing growth of tennis in the United States. We're seeing it in France. We're seeing it in the UK. Um, but we need to have a much stronger global narrative on the premium side of our sport. So when you watch Netflix, it exactly reflects what the story is for the year. Well, it's interesting because it seems like you at Tennis Australia have actually tried to do that yourselves with regards between yourself and Roger Federer, what you're doing with the Labor Cup, which yeah. is sort of like a Ryder Cup of tennis, yeah. and also the United Cup. I had the great privilege of working on that yeah. for you guys last year in Sydney, where you've got men and women playing together as one for the first time, representing their nations, vying to become the ultimate nation in tennis yeah. on again in Sydney and Perth this year. Is those sort of tournaments, do they help? 
help to create that sort of collectivized narrative where you, you're playing for something? Yeah, I think I think those are that's a great question, and and, and one of the uniquenesses that we enjoy about things we do, we, we I, I try and lead from asking for forgiveness versus permission, uh. and uh, you get into trouble when you do that sometimes. But we you know we have a we have a great board that follows our ability and, and allows us to be able to have the creativity and and the expansiveness to really test and try things. And you really only only know if something works if you give it a good go, and mm-hmm. if it fails, you make the adjustment. Just don't let it fail twice. And and so it's it's, it's a simple thing in leadership again, and and the the creation of the Labor Cup, we love that event. It's you know the celebration of Rod Laver, uh, Roger Federer, um, a, a, an owner of that event. We, we're together with with uh, a few other people and, and organisations, our owners as well. Um, our team does a great job in supporting that event, and it's a great event on the calendar. It means a lot. That's one of those things that has global significance. The launch of the United Cup. It came from the players and listening to the players. The players, wouldn't it be cool to have an event where the men and women play on the same team for the combined result that the match of the women's uh, outcome and the outcome of that match can impact the ranking of the man. Mm. And you know, we don't have that in sport. Where do men and women play on the same team for the same outcome mm. and it impacts the entire year of each of the individual performances? So that doesn't exist in sport. So to launch that at the beginning of the year, to do it here in Australia, um, we're in Perth and we're in Sydney this year. We've tweaked the format because we listened again to the fans, mm. asked the players. Um, and that tweak is going to make, you know, make it a bit shorter and tighter and, and, mm. and more fan-friendly. Um, and we've got the number one player on the men's side, the one player on the women's side playing that event, and, and the team have done a magnificent job in rolling it out. And that will take a few years to build and, in my view, become the preeminent event um, you know, on the tour because it will be so unique in its offering. Well, I've got no doubt, and it's interesting because Team USA won the inaugural edition, and I remember watching Taylor, uh, Taylor Fritz doing yeah. the, you know, the, the ceremony at the end and yeah. got the medallion and the trophy, and he said it's one of the greatest highlights of his career, actually yeah. playing with and having that camaraderie because he was saying, you know, obviously it's, tennis is by nature such an individual yeah. sport. Suddenly we're all as one. We've got yeah. Team USA on our chest and we go together. And he loved it. So I, I think from what from what I can see, you're onto a winner. Well, I think 100% and we've got a great team delivering it. I think the and a great lineup this year as far as the players that are playing magnificent countries, the uh, some of the well, most of the best players in the world. Uh, team tennis works. Mm. Team events work. Uh, I've just come off watching uh, the Rugby World Cup, and you know how great was that as a team event? Even if yeah. you, it was good for your it team. Was good for my yeah, team. South well, Africa. Well, Australia, unfortunately, uh, we're, we're, we're not in it at the yeah. at the end. But so who are you barrack for? Are you? Oh, but, South Africa all the way. Yeah, but with but, cricket, uh, you're an Aussie. Uh, well. I'm still. I still need a bit of work on that. All right. <laughs> you see, it, Glenn Maxwell. He's in. Sure, he was. Yeah. No. I mean, Aussie playing great. It's right. a, they they dominant in cricket. Yeah. Uh, and so, um, but you know, I, I have family back in South Africa, and you, of course, you, you, you always tie between. But but of course, family and Aussie, and so yeah. we're, we're Aussie. But I, but I think you know, coming back to the United Cup and the team events. Team events are are, are you know are, are the key. We we have Davis Cup and the Billie Jean King Cup and. And they've done a. They're trying to reform those events, and they're on a bit of a journey on that on mm-hmm. that reform. And and it's taking a while. Yeah. And the players like to play team events, and, mm-hmm. and and the United Cup was something that needed to come onto the calendar, and the players loving it. So I, I think you'll see players potentially play more team events because they love it, as what Taylor Fritz said. Mm. And uh, they all did. They, there's every single player absolutely loved the event. And it's interesting. And there you spoke about you know having that equality, men and women together as mm-hmm. one. And Andrea Buckridge is a friend of mine who, yeah. in July 1995, she became just the second ever female manager at Tennis Australia. And I think yeah. that's when you guys had only about 20 full-time employees. Yeah. Andrea now heads up women and girls, does an yeah. amazing job. 
in 2001, you guys mandated that it's equal pay. So it's almost a quarter century now. You were the yeah. second tournament after the US Open had, yeah. had done that previously. How important is that? How, how big is your push into participation for women and girls right throughout Australia? Well, I've, I come from a background. I come from a family. I come from a, uh, from a value that uh, um, the equal pay for me is like not a, should not be a conversation because it should be happening. Um, and it's and I and I think that the I've always challenged people in this space is that that you really only can talk about equality if you are putting your money where your mouth is if you're if you're paying um, and the the effort that a woman puts into a sporting event or into an activity is the same as the effort that a man puts in a sporting event activity then there shouldn't be a difference in what they rewarded and so that's kind of just a logical position for me uh, and a very important values one for us so as an organization I stepped into an organization where they were already paying prize money equal for men and women. Mm. Um, and there was a lot of argument. Men play five sets, women play three sets. It's not about the amount of time you spend on the job. It's about the value that you provide to the environment. And that's what's often missing. Um, but we have then gone on a journey since really since 2000 and 2006. We've gone on a journey uh, to make sure that there's no pay gap, um, uh, across the board to make sure that there's equal opportunity and there wasn't at the beginning for the men's national t for the women's national team versus the men's national team and make sure if there's a dollar they're both sharing it equally uh, and then to give more women and girls an opportunity because it's not natural for them just to step into picking up a tennis racket and go and, ha go and have a hit when there's been a, a, a historical environment where there's, gonna, where there's a divide. Mm. So the same thing when you're applying for jobs. On, uh, if you put a job out there, you're going to get 75% are going to be male applicants and the other 25% female applicants. So you've got to go out into the market and you've got to search, you've got to do the work and you've got to make sure that you, ha you have on your, on your selection panel, you have equal representation. So, for us, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, it is the most critical value, equality in the organization, because then that breeds, again, the right humility uh, and the right positioning of what your values need to be to deliver the sport in a service fashion. Mm. I want to take you back to, so you grew up in, in Durban in South Africa, born 1962. Yeah. Uh, you pick up a racket. I think my understanding, you're about 12 years old or so the first time you late, had a good... Late starter. Yeah, yeah. yeah and 12 or 13. So, yeah, so you, you're a kid, you pick up the racket, and then you go and you do your national service in, in yeah. the military, and then you become one of the most celebrated coaches in US college sport with the yeah. Illinois team there. You achieve great success. You win the treble, the men, the women, the doubles. Yeah. And then you come to Australia 2006 as the tournament director, yeah. and obviously from 2013 the CEO. Can you tell us about, first of all, can you reflect on that moment as a 12-year-old boy picking up a racket for the first time, what that gave you, and now the journey you've been on to get to where you are now? Well, it feels like it was only 10 years ago as a 12-year-old boy. Okay. So you've got to keep having the energy of youth. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and you've got to always look for it if you don't have it. But, uh, but yeah, I, look, I mean, I, I've got more opportunity to reflect than look forward. But I keep trying to you know, coach yourself to look forward more. Yeah. But, but, the, but no, so I, was very, I was lucky as a kid. I grew up in a family that provided you with opportunity, that challenged you. And a father's an ex-professional athlete and, and understood what hard work was. And, and a mother was a, was, a, was a school teacher taught sport at school. So we kind of grew up in a sport environment. And mm. I had a parent that said, choose the sport that you want, and then you just go and you go for it. And we all chose different ones, all four kids. So, um, yeah, and I just fell in love with the game. And, uh, and I always had, a, I always liked helping people. Mm. So then I matched the game with, uh, with coaching. And I played a little bit, but I played to prepare myself for coaching, not played mm. to prepare myself to be a tennis player. 
And, uh, and I think, you know, that I, I look back at that journey and I just, I went for it. I went overseas and didn't have a cent to my name and you try to make it work. I was staying in train stations because I had no place to stay. So you go on that journey, but that's, that, the learning you have there is unbelievable. And, yeah. You know, like, um, I, 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 and I think that, you know, you've always got to look for it and you've got to look for the harder way to do it because otherwise you choose the easier way, you don't learn as much. And so, yeah, I've, I've, I've been lucky. I've been, uh, I, I was reflecting the other day, I've, I've actually in my life never applied for a job. So, because you, if you just work your butt off and, uh, and you seek out opportunities, they do come to you. Craig, do you ever sort of pinch yourself when you, you know, you're living the life now, you're, you're running the Australian well, Open, do you sort of well, ever want, go, gee whiz? I, I want to be clear that the train station thing is because I didn't want to spend the money in, in, a, in a hostel somewhere, so yeah, yeah, I'd yeah, save the money for the next trip. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So it was comfortable, yeah, it was very comfortable. Yeah, was, hustling, yeah. like that, that yeah. perennially hustling, like, do you ever get a moment you go, gee whiz, I pulled it off, I made it happen? Oh, uh, you know... I don't look at life that way. Um, I don't. Uh, I, I. I get a kick out of somebody, you know, some others and somebody else getting great success. And I, like, I love the discussion around in an organisation where we we try and move people around to different leadership yeah. roles because they they're growing and you, we watch them really improve as people and lead. So that's the part I love. I love being around people. Um, I love. I, I, I'm terrible by myself. I'm, I'm a disaster by myself. So I've got to be. I've got to be around people. I need to have the energy drawn. The energy from people. Uh, I like to listen to what others got to say. Uh, I like to learn from others, and and I always put myself in environments where you do because I think that's my, that's where I get my energy from. Everyone gets the energy from different places, mm. and I'm fortunate that I think I've identified that I get my energy from that. And I've been in people roles, so. So I think when you, in any leadership lesson, you can take out something that it's really important that what you're doing in your role, that you love the environment and that you create an environment of people around you like being with yeah. and that you're learning the whole time. And if you do that, then you can fly. You never have to worry about your salary. You never have to worry about your next job. You never have to worry about that because those are the things with a bit of hard work sprinkled on top of it. Those are the things that will make it work for you. Attitude first, the success will follow. Is. Yeah. Is, yeah. You've done that big time with the Australian Open. So what you've been able to do from a business point of view is extraordinary. So you brought the, the broadcast rights in-house. So broadcast used to make you 25% of your money. Now it makes you a third. Yeah. You've also been able to double the money you're getting out of attendance. Mm -hmm. And in terms of sponsorship merchandise, those figures have tripled in the mm -hmm. time that you've been in charge. Um, tell us about that decision to take more ownership of, rather than having a third party do your sponsorship, your merchandise, yeah. your broadcast, to bring it in-house, to take that control, take the responsibility and be able to go and deliver the way you have. Yeah, look, earlier on in 26, when I, when I was given the opportunity with, with player development performance and, mm. and the tournament, the tournament came a year later, and then I became the CEO, I did recognize the fact that um, there, there's things that need to happen. And, mm. uh, and being the master of your own destiny is one of the key things, because if something goes wrong, you want to be able to point the finger at yourself so you can correct it and do better. We were many, there were many things. We had exclusive arrangements with agencies that were selling our rights. We had you know, a production that was sitting on the outside. We had an international fee that was very generic. And so we wanted our brand and our, and, and our message to be ours. Mm -hmm. And so we spent a lot of, uh, I hired the right people, I think, at that time to bring it all in-house, bring in the, all the exclusive um, arrangements we had with agencies, bring it all in-house as much as you possibly can. And pretty much we bought in 100%. Mm -hmm. Then you build the capability and you build the skill. And then you can decide then if you want to keep it or if you want to farm some of it out. But you make a decision based on having an open source approach to it. 
So um, it, it, it worked. You know, at the time you think, is this the right thing to do or not? But I went with the principle from the beginning is I want to be held accountable end to end of, right. our, of the, the growth of our product and our offering to our consumer and the offering to the tennis player. Mm. Um, and, uh, and I think it's, it's been a lesson for me and been lucky in make, taking that position early and growing to that point. But then as you go on the journey, you need people with a different set of capabilities as you, as you grow and you evolve. And, and you know, we, this is tracking towards being a billion dollar company. Um, you know, it's, it's very global in its reach. We've got offices you know, based around the world. We're, delivering, we, we're starting to deliver other events, have ownership of other things, you know, diversifying our revenue, having a venture capital fund, investing in other businesses that we can be a great testing platform for. So it's becoming much broader and more diverse. And the challenge moving forward is going to be prioritizing what gives us the best return. Mm. And I think that, you know, that's, that, that is going to be our next iteration of what's needed in capability. And, and so I've enjoyed that growth. And, uh, and from my perspective, I don't think it's gone fast enough. Um, but I would probably, I've, I've always been that way as far as pushing, pushing yeah. the boundaries on it. But, but I, think the, I think the organization's done a great job. Hey, two things before we go. I know you've got a lot to get done today as you yeah. do every day. Yeah. First of all, that one where you said, you know, I want to be master of our own destiny. Yeah. But then you said, oh, you know, I was, there were times where I was thinking, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. Yeah. Um, how do you, you know, for people that are watching this, when you get those sort of the self-doubt, you think, oh, am I doing the right thing? How did you back yourself in? What advice would you have for people? I, look, I, I think everyone's got different experiences in learning and everyone's different. So uh, I, I believe in listening to others. I've always said the definition of ideas is steal, baby, steal. Yeah. Just, you know, if, if someone's got a great idea, bring them all together and it can be your idea. Right. Um, but uh, but, I, but I, I, think the, I think the most important thing in, in, in your journey and your career is, is do what you do best. Mm. Uh, don't try and do what you think someone else wants you to do. Uh, because the moment you go on that path, you're going to start to doubt your capability mm. and then doubt your ability to progress. And, and then I think just be brave. You mm. know, just go for it. Because what's the worst thing that can happen is you fail. That's all right. I'll learn from it. Or you let people down. That's all right. I'll apologize and go again. Uh, or it, you know, it doesn't work out like you thought it would work out. That's all right. You've got now another path to go. So there's nothing bad that can happen. Just assure that when you go on that journey, you treat the people the same way on their way up because you're going to meet those same people on the way down yeah. and your life is going to be a circle. So uh, yeah. just, just remember that on the journey. Yeah, it's beautiful words, actually. And I mean, the thing is, the runs are on the board for you, you know, like what you've been able to do with that mentality. All right, yeah. before we go, last one. Yeah. Um, I know tech's a big thing for you, technology, innovation, yeah. sports tech. Um, what do you think the next 10 years, all right, if we're doing this interview again in 10 years, yeah. what do you want to have got done between now and that time in terms of the innovation of Tennis Australia globally and yeah. the Australian Open as a product? Well, that's a great question. And uh, um, I'll tell you my dream. Okay, yeah, please. <laughs> but because uh, you're, you're going to make that dream a reality, and I, you know, I'm in the process of formulating that more. But, but I, I see uh, from I see a much bigger uh, global um, footprint that we have. I see us owning, owning and leaning in uh, in more events than we currently have. Um, I see us being, you know, um, more converging more to tech type company of how we're engaging our fans, how we're engaging the, uh, the, the players and what digital platforms, what tech platforms we're doing. So I see us owning some of that that we're, we're trying with. 
I see us have a complete transformational uh, experience for our fans uh, as far as coming on site. And I see the complete convergence between augmented reality, between virtual reality, and your experience at home as a fan, where it's almost the same as your experience in the, in the precinct. And that now, all, all of a sudden, we're going from a, you know, over a million people coming on site to a billion people that feel like they're on site. And so that requires a strong technology uh, and that's why we're building our tech capability. We're investing millions in this year, so we can be in the forefront of that. I also see us delivering on our next five-year fit for growth and game on strategies around growing the game, getting more people to play and love the game, and using a lot of tech to do that. And I see a complete convergence, the connectivity of people that play the game, watch the game, and that are in sport. And people are going to be surprised about, oh, Tennis Australia does that? Tennis Australia does that? I thought it was just a tennis organization. Mm -hmm. We're going to go well beyond being a tennis organization. So that's just probably generally. And then I can start to point some of the specific actions that we'll take in that. And uh, we're already on that journey. And, and uh, whether or not I'm here in that period, um, there's going to be good leadership. There'll be great leadership. And I've always, I always have the belief is that if you move the next environment you move on to, the last one you leave in the best possible place so the next leadership can take it then to another level. And you've got to set it up to be able to do that. Well, you have done that. You are doing that. And I thank you very much for your time. Craig Tiley, thank it's you very much. Great to chat to you, Lockie. Yeah. It's been, I know it's been a while, but it's good to catch up. Yeah. I'm glad we finally caught Likewise. up. Likewise. So thank thank you. you. Thanks. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Ministry of Sport podcast with Lachlan Wills. 